You guys are so great. How are we doing tonight? <clears throat> Good. Can you guys quickly give your neighbor a quick squeeze on the neck? <clears throat> as hard as you can. Just kidding. And then turn to your other neighbor and say, you look mighty fine tonight. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so my parents are here. Mom and dad. Let's sit up. <laughs> Love you guys. But before we get started tonight, I just want to point out three specific people. And Romans 13 talks about giving honor where honors do. So Jess, I think you're backstage. But I've sat under her leadership. Oh, Jess, right in front of me. Gosh. Um, Jess, I've sat under your leadership for eight months. And I am constantly blown away by how, much, how hard you work. And just for this one purpose, to, for everyone in here to experience Jesus. And so you challenge me, you push me. You encourage me, you mentor me into being a better person and who God has called me to be, so thank you. And Doug, wherever you are, Doug has this insane um, passion to learn theology woven throughout scripture and make it relevant for us on a Thursday night. And so, Doug, I respect the way you study scripture and you walk in such a high level of integrity. I think you're in the sound booth. So I'm going to point myself that way. Um, so, but Doug, but Doug, Doug could be the most epic one-upper. If you guys don't know this about Doug, he has the coolest stories. Like, he's fought a great white shark with his bare hands. Or he's, like, YouTube famous. So, Doug, I love you. You're awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And last is Charlotte. Charlotte, you're the woman. Everything you guys see up on the screens or um, production-wise, it's all the genius mind of Charlotte Arino. So Charlotte, I love you, and I love spending eight months with you. All right. So we are currently in a series called YA University, and the purpose of this series is to share lessons that we have learned along the way. So just by a show of hands, how many of us have been to or currently attending college? Okay, there's a, there's a good chunk of you guys. All right, so I loved professors that used to share stories to teach difficult principles. And last week, Connor shared that Jesus does the same thing. He teaches us through parables, short stories. And, and Connor um, summed up his message like this. Why are you running? Or why are you working? Sorry. Why are you working when God is running? Why are you working for God's love when he is running after you? And so tonight, I'm going to walk you through three different stories and if you hear nothing else for the next 30 minutes, remember this one main point. And my title of the, my sermon is called Be a Good Steward of Your Story. Because your story is strong, people need to hear your story, and God has chosen you to play a part. All right, so three stories, three main points, one title. Let's pray. Jesus, I just welcome you here. I thank you ahead of time for what you're going to do in this place. I lay myself down in front of my family and my friends and my peers that you will be the only person in this room that's glorified. Jesus, I thank you. I love you. And we ask this in all of your name. Amen. All right. How many animal lovers do we have in the house tonight? Give me a shout. Yeah. All right, well, I have always loved animals, okay, ever since I was a little kid. And so my parents, when I was like eight years old, they gave me a guinea pig. I think we have a picture of her. Let's put her up on the screen. 
Aw. Her name was Cookie. Look what I'm wearing. Like, who does that? Mom? Gosh. <laughs> All right, so as best, I had the best of intentions with poor little Cookie, but I was horrible to this thing, okay? So like they say cats have nine lives, like they underestimate the life of a guinea pig. These poor suckers have like 20 lives, no joke. So this is a, <laughs> this is a true story. <clears throat> I had a basement room, and my parents would tuck me in at night, and they'd go upstairs, and I would like sneak out of my bed, and like go and grab cookie and like put her next to my face like to sleep at night like that's so gross like I put this little vermin near my face <laughs> at night because in my eight-year-old brain I was like oh why would she want to sleep in a cage when she can sleep next to the queen <laughs> why not why not <laughs> so so I would wake up in the, in the morning with my parents like footsteps like, you probably didn't hear that, but that's how it sounded, up above me. And I would open my eyes, and I look over, and Cookie is, like, nowhere to be found, okay? So every time I, like, realized that she gets, like, thrown off the bed, and, like, I find her under my bed, like, back in, the, in this, like, little corner, like, hiding from me, and I'd bend down. And she just starts squealing super loud. Like, like if you guys have ever seen Finding Nemo, like the best way I can describe this moment is like um, when, when Darla walks into the dentist's office and all the fish are like, oh no, like she shakes the bag. Like Cookie in her little mind is like, oh no, she throws me off the bed. Like what's happening? <laughs> so the, as best as my intentions were with this thing, I was horrible, and, and just, there's one more story. So, you know, I would take her on walks in the summer, and she would get, like, heat strokes, or, like, <laughs> I would, like, start, I started getting hives, like, holding her, so I'd go and grab my parents' dishwasher gloves, and at the time, it, like, went all the way up to my shoulder. I looked ridiculous, okay? But now, looking back, you know, Cookie finally expelled her 20 lives, and with a proper burial for her. But, it's, um, but I look back, and I can see that my parents gave me full stewardship over this little animal. And as silly as it sounds, it looks like Jesus gives us stewardship over our lives, over our stories, and it is what we do with it that can change this world. And it says in Revelation that we can overcome this world by two things, the blood of the Lamb, Jesus, and the word of our testimony, the words on the pages of our story. So how? How do we become good stewards of our story? Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines stewardship as this, the conducting, supervising, or managing of something, especially the careful and responsible management of something entrusted to one's care. And I hear a lot of um, pastors preach on this idea of stewardship. Like it's almost easier to hear um, pastors say, you know, be a good steward over your money, over your finances, over your resources, over extra things, towards eternal things. But I've started to see this trend happen in our generation that we get so caught up in these extra things that we miss the point of what God is saying to us now, which is our story, which is our life. And I know this because I make excuses like this all the time. Like, well, one day, when I have enough money, I can start my own nonprofit and rescue girls out of sex trafficking. Um, 
if I only had more money, or maybe if I get a, de- a degree from Denver Seminary and, and learn all this knowledge, then I can be an effective communicator of the gospel. If only I had more knowledge. Or maybe your excuse goes like this. You know, I work every Monday, Tuesday. I go to school Wednesday, Thursday. I come here on Thursday nights. I volunteer at Kids Rock on Sundays. If only I had more time, then I can change this world. If I only had more blank. And you guys fill in the blank. We are constantly looking for the perfect opportunity or welcome distant plans to steward mentally to change this world for Jesus. But Jesus says in Luke, Luke 19, no, you're missing the point. Today is salvation day in this home. For the Son of Man came to find and restore the lost. Because that's what it's all about, right? Like if you place your life in Jesus Christ, this, we are, our whole goal is to go out into the world and make disciples amidst the chaos of our schedule, amidst the tension in, of life that you have walked in here with, amidst the world raging for your attention. We are here to glorify one name. And I'm going to make a strong case that Isaiah, probably one of the most influential prophets in the Bible, spent six chapters trying to prophesy to harden and hypocritical hearts of this Israelite people to come back under the grace and mercy and redemption of the Lord. But um, these people would not listen because they lived comfortable lives. Like, it goes like, like, their excuse went like this, you know, I'm happy, why do I need to believe in, in God? Or, you know, I'm content, why do I need to ask Jesus to forgive me? And Isaiah is facing what we face today. And then something happens, and Isaiah chapter 6, that I want to camp on, historically and personally something shift. And he starts to proclaim his story to all the Israelites. And why does he do this? Let's read. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Pause. Isaiah's story starts this way. He's saying, in the year that King Uzziah died, why is he talking about King Uzziah's death? And for background purposes, King Uzziah was a good and faithful king. Second Kings talks about how he did what was right in the sight of the Lord that he understood the visions of God. And this is important to remember, understanding the visions of God. Because it says in Proverbs that where there is no vision, the people perish. So we can understand, we can interpret from these scriptures that these people, these Israelites, flourished under his kingship. And Second Chronicles describes Uzziah as this, an energetic builder, a planner, and strong war general that his fame spread far beyond the reach of his reign. Isaiah was able to prophesy under this great and noble king. And then all of a sudden, one day, it comes to a screeching halt. Some of you guys can relate in here that you thought life was going great. You had it all figured out. You knew you've cracked the riddle to life. And then something just happens, and it stops you dead in your tracks. Second king says, King Uzziah was struck with leprosy and died long before his reign should have. So Isaiah is expressing his shocking reality that this man that he feared and that, and that he loved has now passed away. And, and some of your stories can go like this too. Like, you know, you're walking through life and someone you value and respect, maybe it's a mentor or a family member, just pass away. And now you have to absorb the responsibilities that they have carried And Isaiah has one of two choices in this moment, to either shrink away from his responsibilities or to take hold of them with both 
hands. And I could see him tempted to cry out, saying, like, where are you, Lord? Like, this was not the plan that I thought you had for me. I thought you wanted me to prophesy under this great king. What do you do when your dreams and your plans change in an instant? But then he says, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, angels, each with six wings. With two they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling out to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. So Isaiah is saying to this nation, this people group, that regardless of the situation we are in as a nation, regardless of the situation that I am in myself and in my calling, look up. The glory of God surpasses it all. Look up. In a moment, he is, yeah, in a moment, he is filled with everlasting wonder. But Isaiah's story doesn't just stop there. He says this, Woe to me, I cried, for I am ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with the live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Isaiah chapter 6 is this beautiful picture of redemption and call back to salvation, which if you place your life in Jesus, this is the story that we carry. And Isaiah is saying, woe, woe to me, my labors have been in vain under this great king in comparison to the plans that you have prepared for me, that you have called me into. He sat under the weight of his circumstance, under his life without Jesus, under the weight of sin, but then is washed clean with endless hope and breath of new life. You see the posture of God's heart here. It yearns to take the broken and darkest seasons of life and say, I am right here. You are washed clean. All of, your all your failures, all of your past, all of your shame, all of your guilt, they are washed clean. And now I give you new life. Your hope is restored. And then God asks Isaiah this question. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Who will share the good news? He's saying, Isaiah, make no mistake. You have seen my faithfulness. You've experienced my glory. You have tasted and seen my love. Now will you go and steward your story to the next leadership of Israel, to your family, to your friends, to those under you, to the world? Your story is strong, Isaiah, because I have made it strong. And your story is strong, young adult, because he has made it strong. And Isaiah responds so simply, and I love this. He says, here I am, send me. Like, here I am, like, I'm ready to steward my story. <laughs> and, and God sends him. He looked for willingness in his heart to be faithful with his story. And God honors you being faithful with your story. Isaiah later goes on to prophesy 20 of the 44 messianic prophecies that 
came true under the life of Jesus. Like what an honor this was, you guys, that he was faithful with his story and God chose him to prophesy the life of Jesus, the hope of this entire world. And God exalted Isaiah when he chose to steward his story. And guess what? God will exalt you by being faithful with stewarding your story well. By saying, hey, look, this is my reality before Jesus. And now look ahead at the hope that is coming. Your story is strong. And people need to hear your story. My story looks similar to Isaiah. I was kind of thrown awakened to the realities of this world. And I was raised in a Christian home. And I went to church religiously. And by my senior year, you know, I kind of dipped my hand into drinking and, and partying. And then I kind of got myself out of that life when I went to college. And I became so focused, laser focused, on making good grades and school and school responsibilities that it all kind of started to define me. You know, like, I started living in this space, like, you know, my mediocre faith works for me, and that's about it. Until my sophomore year, and earlier that year, probably January, my mom had become really sick and progressively got worse over the summer. And none of us really knew the extent of what was going on. We just didn't know that mom wasn't okay, and I was terrified. And I remembered having this moment where either I, I run back to poor decisions while living out a stagnant and religious faith, or I drop everything and sprint towards the cross. And many of you might have the same bring you to your knees, decision to be made moment. But I chose the second, and I went to any and every church event and a church service and Bible study, but I still felt empty. There's still this lack in my, in, my, in my spirit. I would lay awake at night and have, like, mild panic attacks, um, and I would go to church, and I'd sit there like a stone, just, like, completely emotionless. And I was brought to the little end of my rope, both spiritually, mentally, emotionally, and I was this close to giving up. But I'm here on this stage for no other reason to say do not give up hope on Jesus. Trust my story that he is chasing after you whether you feel it or not right now. Do not give up hope on Jesus. So September, um, fast forward a lot of months, <clears throat> I got the news that my mom had received the news that she had stage four breast cancer and had spread to other areas in her body and I was devastated. I became angry, I was scared, I was bitter. I felt isolated, I was emotional and I put on this like brave face for my family and for my friends but the life was just sucked right out of me. And then this one day, my friend came to me and she was like, hey, there's this conference in Atlanta, Georgia and I think it would be wise if you came with me and um, to, get, to get you away from all your circumstances, what's happening right now? And I, tur I turned it down hardcore. I was like, no, I'm not leaving. I'm not going to leave my family. And so she did thing after thing for me. She found a scholarship for me. And piece after piece clicked. And I was going to this conference. So that next January, I showed up with 71,000 other young adults. And this pastor with white hair and a really cool vest gets on stage. You guys might know him. But, um, and he starts preaching this message about the love, the vast love of Jesus. And, and similar to Connor's message, how he's chasing after you. And I kind of sat there, and I was like, all right, like, I've heard this all before. Like, this isn't anything, like, new. It's not any new news. 
And then he, had, then he said something that really, like, hit me right in my heart and my chest. And he challenged us thousands of young adults to say, do you actually believe this? Are you sitting in in your seat right now being like, yeah, okay. Or do you believe it with everything in you, with your whole entire heart? And I was finally able to have this real moment with Jesus. And I said, you know what? I know you're real and I know you author good things and I know you're good, but I just don't feel it. I don't believe it. I don't believe on the other side of this. You have my heart that you are fighting to protect me. And, and, um, but I said, I said, let me, let me, let, let, let your love like surround me or whatever he's talking about. Just let me. And so the next day, worship band after speaker after worship band after speaker gets on stage and the last worship band, they're like a popular worship band, they get on stage and in a moment, in one moment, in a random song on, on their random playlist, I saw the Lord and it felt like this, like an ocean-sized vat of love just dump into my heart. And, and the best way I can describe this moment was in Psalm 23. And it says, David writes, that God anoints your head with oil, that your cup overflows with goodness and mercy and love. And ever since, I can stand on this stage proud to say that his goodness and his love and his mercy has continued to overflow. And for the first time ever... I started sharing my story. People need to hear your story. And at first I shared to 50 other young adults, and we had all made this journey down. It was on like a big Greyhound bus. And I was terrified. I like, my knees were shaking and my palms were all sweaty. And I get up there and I'm like, I sound so crazy, but this is what the Lord has done for me. And then I became consumed with sharing my story and what the Lord has done for me. And I remembered coming home And at the time, I worked in, like, an obscure job. I was doing little kid birthday parties and giving tours around the Denver Aquarium. And I remember being, like, fascinated with God's creation. Like, sitting there, like, just staring at these tanks, like, whoa. Oh, this is awesome. But And so I I was so consumed. Like, I wanted to. I never did this. But I wanted to be like, hey, Timmy. There's always, like, a troublemaker named Timmy. I was like, hey, Timmy, you see that sea turtle up there? Well, cool thing about her is she can live over 50 years, and she can never have babies in captivity because she has to travel thousands of miles back to the beach where she was born on just so her babies can live. And you want to know why, Timmy, this happens? You don't know why? Because the whole earth is full of his glory. And I can say from that moment, Jesus... Yeah. And I can say Jesus was continually just showing me his intricacies of his faithfulness day in and day out. And from that moment, I started sharing, God has blessed my story. He's allowed me to take it around the world. And I, and I went to Europe and did some missions out there. And then throughout this whole internship, standing on this stage completely unqualified for this one purpose alone, which is to bring the good news of Jesus through my story. Jesus is all that I needed to, to share my story around the world. And people need to hear your story. And trust me, there will be plenty of awkward moments along the way. Like you're not always going to have the perfect answer or like this woody debunk of another's theology. But what you do have is blessed and it's right in your hand. Your story is strong because he has made it strong. People need to hear your story. 
and God has chosen you to play a part. Your story is strong. People need to hear your story, and God has chosen you to play a part. Carl Lentz puts it this way. The cool thing about God is that he doesn't need just some of us. He needs all of us. Sure, he can do it, but in this weird, scandalous grace, God has chosen us to play a part. God has chosen you to play a part. So how do we? How do we play this part? And I believe it's two ways. Two ways. Move forward into your next chapter and don't stay, go. So there's this man found in Mark chapter 5 that I believe whose story is strong. This man does not have a name, but is so severely plagued with demons that these demons that live inside of him have given him the name Legion. And scripture tells us that not even shackles can hold this man down. He would cut himself with stones and cry out at night. He lived naked or barely clothed, and he hid himself in caves, completely isolated from his past life, from his family, from his friends. Just imagine for a second the depravity of this man's soul. And then Jesus shows up. Amen. These demons, these demons shudder and beg Jesus not to send them away, but to be sent into a herd of pigs. And keep in mind, this man can't even talk for himself because he's com- completely controlled by these things that live inside of him. Have you ever felt like you are so desperately close to and want to talk to Jesus, but something is clouding your ability to have a relationship with him? You feel like a substance or an unhealthy relationship or years and years of built-up bitterness is controlling your thoughts and behaviors in such a way that is enabling you to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, the only relationship that will set you free. And I have good news for you, my friend. Hope is on the way because Jesus frees this man of his demonic oppression and whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And he sends these demons into a herd of pigs nearby these pigs run off a steep bank and are drowned in, into, the ta- in, into the ocean, which causes this town to come out and just see what is happening. Like, like if someone walked up to me and was like, hey, girl, crazy. So you know that town crazy that like howls at the moon? Well, he starts talking to Jesus, and then there's like this commotion with these pigs, and they run off into the ocean and drown. I would be like, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> like, I have to see this for myself. So... So this town comes out to the place where Jesus and this man were sitting, and they see him fully clothed and having a conversation with Jesus. But then it says that those that saw were afraid, and they did not understand what they had just seen. And people will never understand the saving power of Jesus from a distance. They just won't. Let me say that again. People will not understand the saving power of Jesus from a distance. And I would assume the town chatter was of that today, putting it in relevant terms. Like, oh, hey, like, did you see Luke? Like, you know, he used to get drunk and party with us. And, you know, now he goes to church. Like, what's up with that? Or, or um, did you see Brittany's Instagram photo? Like, all she posts now are, like, her little journal and her little mug that says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, Jeremiah 29, 11. <laughs> Like, I don't understand why you'd ever want to live your life following a book of lists and rules. So needless to say, 
These, ple- <clears throat> these people plead with Jesus to leave them, to not bother their way of life any longer. And the last sentences in Mark chapter 5 go like this. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus has done for him, and all the people were amazed. This man moved forward into his next chapter. It says he went into the Decapolis. Other versions say it went, he went into 10 cities to bring the good news through his story. And imagine this journey because speaking to 10 cities, it takes time, it takes patience, it takes determination, it takes boldness, it takes courage. And I'm sure along the way he ran into doubts and insecurities and obstacles, but this man was consumed with telling his story and he didn't waste time running back to the things that plagued him. And it's easy to fall in this mentality as a young adult, you know, like, Jesus saved me, but I don't want to keep or stop abusing this drug. Or Jesus saved me, but I want to stay in this abusive relationship. Or Jesus saved me, but I don't want to stop having fun. But Mark writes that this man went free from what Jesus healed him from so that all the people that heard his story were amazed. Imagine if he had one foot in his old life, and one foot walking forward and saying, hey, look what Jesus did. Like, <clears throat> it says he lived without any clothes on. Like, imagine him walking into the town, like, with no clothes on, and, and being like, hey, look what the Lord has done for me. <laughs> like, it just doesn't work. Like, God's calling you to play a part. And I can imagine this man for the first time ever walking back into his home, and giving his mom a kiss on the cheek or walking upstairs and like fist bumping his younger brother or walking into the town um, city and shaking hands with these like pompous tax collectors or going down to the beach and having breakfast with these like Rastafari surfer dudes, all different walks of life, looking at them with clean eyes and saying, look up, look at what the Lord has done for me. Look up, look at what the Lord has done for you. My last point is this. Don't stay, go. And Ben, you guys can come back up here. I found it interesting that if this man had gotten back into the boat with Jesus, he would have experienced all the miracles told in the Gospels. Like, think about it. He would have tasted with his own taste buds the bread and the fish that Jesus fed the 5,000 with. Or he would have embraced this, this woman with the issue of blood that was healed. He would have seen with his own eyes Jesus' death as he hung on a cross. He would have seen his resurrection, the, the cornerstone of our faith, and his ascension back up to heaven. And as Christians, we have this temptation that we experience salvation, we experience the saving power of Jesus, then we, we become a recluse of our faith. We find only Christian friends. We go to only Christian Bible studies. We join Christian sports leagues. We lay low. We keep our heads down until Sunday or Thursday nights. And hear me, I am not saying that Christian community is not important. But what I am saying is we need to pay attention to what Jesus is saying in this moment. Jesus knew that this man would have experienced miracles far more than the disciples could count. Jesus knew that this man would still go to heaven 
Jesus knew this man would still be a follower, but what does he say to him? Jesus commands him, and us, thousands of years later, no. Don't stay, go. Go back into your corner, go back into your city, go back into your school, go back into your life and tell people who Jesus really is because your story is not about you. My story is not about me. Your story is for reaching the lost and the hurting in Denver, in Lakewood, in Littleton, in your school, in your job. And I urge you to be a good steward of your story because your story is strong. People need to hear your story and God is calling you to play a part in making heaven more crowded. With everyone's eyes closed, I just want to ask two questions. If you are sitting in this room and, you're, and you haven't seen Jesus and your heart is like thumping out of your chest because you want a relationship with him, or maybe your story looks a lot like mine, like you have been searching for a long time and you come to church, but you leave feeling empty and you are so close to giving up, to giving up on Jesus, to giving up on life, and I am burnt out. Will you guys just stand up and act of boldness? And Jesus said that today is the day for salvation in this home. Today is the day that I'm going to reveal myself to you. And everyone's eyes are closed. There's no shame in admitting that I want that. I want that. And my next question is this. If you sat through my message and you're like, yes, I know my story is strong. Yes, people need to hear my story. Yes, I want to play a part in making heaven more crowded. Will you guys stand up in an act of obedience and say, yes, I'm ready to go out and make disciples. I want to pray a prayer of courage and boldness. So Jesus, I just pray that you will flood the eyes of those that said, I want to see you for the first time. Make yourself so known to them that they were in such a way that they will never run back to their life previous, that they will go forward into their next chapter and never look back. That all they can see is you and say, look, look at what the Lord has done for me. And Jesus, I also pray for those that stood up and, and said, yes, I'm ready to go out into this world. I, I pray for courage and boldness to not stay, but to go out and touch this city like they never have before and to carry their story to people that need it, that desperately are in need of you, of a Savior, of Jesus. So Jesus, we ask all this in your precious name. Amen. Let's worship.